Awesome. So we are going to jump into week three of the Big Mouth series this morning. And before we begin, if you are able, would you stand with me as we honor God's word to us? I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter four, and you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible, starting with verse 29. All right. All right, here we go. Never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth, but instead let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help them. The Holy Spirit of God has sealed you in Jesus Christ until you experience your full salvation. So never grieve the Spirit of God or take for granted his holy influence in your life. Lay aside bitter words, temper tantrums, revenge, profanity, and insults, but instead be kind and affectionate towards one another. Has God graciously forgiven you? Then graciously forgive one another and the debts of Christ's love. Father God, we just thank you for your word to us. We're thankful uh, that you are here with us this morning. God, we ask you to speak directly to us, Lord. And as a result this morning, we just believe and we receive. We're not gonna be the same as an encounter with you this morning. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen. You can be seated. All right. So if you were here Last weekend, we discovered that you are all very powerful people. Every single one of you, you are powerful because words are powerful. And you know that words are powerful because the words spoken about you and over you and to you growing up and words that have, are words that have shaped you. Those, they shaped what you see in the mirror. Words are powerful, which makes you powerful. And our words actually determine, to some extent, the direction and quality of our lives. As our words go, so go our lives. But here's the powerful part. Your words have the potential to direct, to direct the quality uh, and, and the direction in somebody else's life, too. And so last week, we left off with this kind of horrible thought that basically our mouths are utterly unpredictable. And they're, in fact, they're so predictably unpredictable that if we don't set a guard on our lips, we have the potential to undermine our own success, our own future, and undermine our own relationships. And because of this, James, the brother of Jesus, we've looked at his words in the last two weeks. He said that your mouth and my mouth, and the scriptures we read last week, he said, is untamable. It cannot be domesticated. It, it always needs a leash. It always needs a bridle. It always needs to be guarded. So when, when we began this series is where we're going to go throughout the series. And it's the simple idea that James gave us at the beginning um, that for the rest of our lives, in every waking moment, for those of you that have been with us, you know this, we should be quick to listen and slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow or late to the conversation in the way that we speak. So now in week one and two, we looked at the ancient first century document written by James, the brother of Jesus, which has been eye-opening to say the least. And today we're going to hear from somebody else. 
Today, we're gonna hear from the Apostle Paul. The Paul, as you, you may know, he stepped onto the pages of history as Saul of Tarsus. That's how he was first known. And when he showed up, he was a Jew and he lived way north of Jerusalem, but he came to Jerusalem and he was so disturbed by these Christians. This, to him, in his, in his view, they were kind of a knockoff Jewish religion that was sort of blending the old with this new stuff. And he decided that he was gonna get rid of and put the fire out of these believers. So he goes to the high priest in Jerusalem. He gets permission to round up and arrest Christians wherever he can find them. And he brings them to Jerusalem. He has them tried and tortured and punished and in some cases um, executed for their faith. And Saul of Tarsus hated Christians. He wanted to stamp the church out. Well, some of you know the story. He has this Damascus Road experience. He's blinded by light and suddenly he starts seeing things the way he hasn't seen them before. And he becomes a follower of Jesus. And now instead of destroying the church, he starts planning churches all around the Mediterranean basin, all around the edge of the Mediterranean and all the port cities. And then what would happen is he would write letters to them. And many of those letters have been preserved since antiquity and they became part of our New Testament. And so I'm gonna read out of one of those letters this morning. It's a first century document called the book of Ephesians, but it's really just a letter to the Christians and to the Ephesians in the first century church. And in this letter, he talks to these Christians about their mouth. And where James kind of left us hanging last week and all was gloom and doom and gloom and doom, and then he just kind of ends abruptly and he says, see, I gotta go. Um, that was kind of how James ended his talk last week. The Apostle Paul gives us a way forward and he gives us a word picture that I want us to really think about. I, I believe it can get us some leverage for how we use our words in a positive way to help make sure that we're accomplishing what we need to accomplish. Now, one last thing. Before, before we look at this, whether you're watching online or, or in-house, and if you're not a believer, I just wanna make sure that you understand where I'm coming from because as I jump into this, I have no right for you to expect to do anything based on anything that I say or anything in the Bible. So please don't hear me saying you ought to, you ought to, you ought to if you're not a believer. You know, this was written to Christians. This was written to the Christians in the church, but here's the good news. Here's the good news this morning. You can try this for free <laughs> just because it's good advice. You don't need to... Be on the defensive. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything unusual, but I think after hearing this this morning, anybody in this conversation is gonna admit, well, I don't know that maybe everything in the Bible is true. Maybe I'm not there personally yet, but this is some good advice when it comes to how I use my words. So I'm gonna read these verses to you, and I'm gonna back up actually a few verses from the verses that talk about our mouth um, to give us some context this morning. And hopefully we'll all find this interesting and helpful when it comes to our words. This is found in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter four, and here's what the apostle Paul says. He starts with this. Again, he's writing to the Gentiles who've become believers. They've left the pagan worldview, and they're, they're trying to sort through the question, how do I follow Jesus considering the way I was raised as a Gentile pagan? So here's what he says. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live, talking to the believers, talking to Christians in this conversation, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. And Gentile here, he's talking about what the group of people he's writing to used to be. He's saying, when you identified outside of the church, when you identified outside of Christianity, 
this is, that's, what, that's what a Gentile is in, these, in this conversation. You had a worldview that matched the worldview of your current culture of the time. It was a pagan worldview where they believed in multiple gods. They, they were polytheists, and, uh, which is a completely different worldview. And that worldview was reflected in their behavior, just like your worldview is reflected in your behavior. And so he says, they are darkened in their understanding. That is, they don't get it. And, and they're separated from the life of God. And then he tells us why. And this seems, this seems a little offensive, but hang on. This is what he says. He says, because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now, that sounds like an insult. It's not intended to be an insult. He's basically saying, this is just my observation. Again, talking to the church, talking to the believers, the people that you deal with in culture, they don't know any better because they can't see what you see. They're just like you used to be, is what he's saying. And they don't see the world the, the way that you see it now. So let me try to explain, uh, back up a little bit and explain why this is such a big deal. In the culture of Ephesus, in the Greek culture, they believed in this, this pantheon of gods and many, many, many gods. And the gods, you might remember this from high school or if, if you learned it in college, the Greek gods and the Roman gods were all about themselves. They were all about themselves. They did all kinds of, of crazy stuff. They toyed with people. They slept with each other. Um, in the traditions, if you read the stories, they had all kinds of baby gods that had other baby gods. Um, you know, they, they did all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, these you know, ancient gods, they cut each other in half. I mean, there was just some crazy stuff. But in the big picture, if we just take all of that, that, that polytheist you know, kind of belief system, the gods were all about themselves. When you, when you kind of look at the big picture of, of who they were. So polytheism was, was about being like the gods, which meant it was every man for himself kind of way of thinking. That was the morality of the day. And it wasn't as much every woman for herself because women didn't even have rights in this culture. So that's, that's just how this belief system and this culture operated. So the apostle Paul is talking to some ex-pagans and he's talking to some ex-polytheists and he's saying, okay, the world that you came from is very different from the, the world that I'm introducing you to as a new believer. And your friends who, are, who still live in that world, they have a different worldview. So he continues talking about this group to the church, to the new believers, and says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality. In other words, it was this anything goes morality because there was no morality associated with the paganism. So the apostle Paul is saying, no wonder the people in your culture behave the way they do, right? Because the reason they don't live the way that I'm asking you to live is because they don't have the truth that you've decided to live by. So that's, that's the picture that he's painting. It's not, so it's not a criticism, it's more of an observation. This is, this is what the culture is right now. And now he keeps on going and he says, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Again, it's a winner-take-all world. And he continues, and he says that, however, contrasting what he said so far, that however is not the way of life you learned. So that greedy, do whatever you want to do to get whatever you want to get, treat people any way you want to treat them, take advantage of people, way of living... He said, that, that's the world that you live in. It's the culture around you, but that's not the life that you've been invited to. 
okay? And so this is not the life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And he continues, you were taught with regard to your former way of life when you were a polytheist, worshiping all the gods and acting as crazy as the gods to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. He said, when I first came to you and I, and I visited you in Ephesus, remember I told you, you've got to take off your old self and that old way of thinking, that old way of behaving. It's like that big, heavy coat. You take that off and you've got to take it off so that you will no longer be fooled by your deceitful desires. Do you know what a deceitful desire is? A, a deceitful desire is a desire that you, that you have that promises something on the other end. And then when you get there, that, it, the promise isn't fulfilled. And so you chase a desire because there's a promise on the other end of it and you get to where you wanted to get, but then the desire didn't keep its promise. And so that's, that's a deceitful desire. And then when you, when you didn't get what you wanted, the next, the next thing that happens is that desire starts whispering to you. And what does that desire whisper to you? This is what it, what does it whisper to me? It says, next time next time. Just wait until the next time. You know, it, it didn't work out this time, but it was his fault. It didn't work out this time, but it was her fault. It didn't work out this time, but it was their fault. And, but it was, you know, the, the, keep on bringing up, okay, next time. Let's keep on our eyes looking for the next time. And so uh, the apostle Paul says, those are deceitful desires. And he says, as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, you have been called to take all of that stuff off and live a completely different kind of life and, and think a completely different kind of way. And then he says this, once you take all of that off, you'll be made new in the attitude of your minds. You're gonna think differently. And he says, you're gonna put on the new self created to be like God. And he says, you'll be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Not the kind of holiness that pulls back and withdraws, but uh, the kind of holiness that engages with people. Now hear me, it, it engages with people who are like you, engages with people who are not like you, engages with people who don't like you. And he says, it's a brand new world. This is a brand new day. It's a brand new way of living. And he invites them all into it. Okay, so that's the context going into our conversation today. This, after this, he begins to give his audience um, specific applications. He talks about all kinds of different behaviors. And one of the behaviors he talks about that we're gonna zero in on this morning in this context of the conversation is our mouth, our words. So here's how this applies in the big picture. He says, you've taken off one worldview and you've taken off one way of thinking that it's all about me, 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 my greed, my desires, my satisfaction, and you begin to view the world the way that your heavenly father views it. Uh, when that happens, here's what it's gonna look like, and he kind of unpacks it for us in real time. We're gonna skip down a few verses to where he's talking about our mouth, and he says, do not, he said, it's, a, it's our very first specific command when it comes to our mouth, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, which is our topic, right? Talking about our words. He says, once you put on this new worldview, this new way of thinking, then one way that it's going to manifest itself is do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But the most interesting word in this phrase is the word right here. It's right in front of us. It's nice and big, unwholesome. Unwholesome. That little Greek word, 
translated unwholesome in our English Bible was actually used to describe the smell of spoiling and rotting fish. Uh, if, if you don't like, it, it was anything unpleasant to, to your nose. So it could be the smell of rotting fruit. It could, it could be the smell of, you know, your best friend that just walked into the house and his well-used sandals, if you know what I mean. It was an unpleasant smell. It's anything that's distasteful. So the Apostle Paul says, when you think about your words as a Jesus follower, as someone who views everyone in the world as someone who God loves, do not let any distasteful words come out of your mouth. And it's the imagery of smelly, rotting fish. So we can say it this way this morning, avoid fish mouth. Amen. Avoid fish mouth. In other words, don't be that guy, right? Don't be that guy. Don't, in fact, I think in our families, even, even in this room, maybe around here, we should start using this phrase. And when somebody says something distasteful or somebody's critical of someone else unnecessarily or somebody starts losing it, we can just whisper in their ears, fish mouth, buddy, you've got some bad fish mouth. <laughs> I want you, Paul is saying, to guard your mouth so that nothing distasteful comes out of it. Nothing that stinks. Amen. <laughs> you see that? And then, kind of echoing what we learned from James last week, look at this. He says, don't let, in, let any unwholesome talk come out. Okay? In other words, you are in charge. The, it's, it's a picture it's a picture of if I don't let anything out, that means I'm in charge. Our mouth is like a gate and I can open that gate and I, can, I am the gatekeeper of my mouth. Amen. You are the gatekeeper that I am to stand guard is the language that we read elsewhere in scripture. I'm supposed to stand guard over my mouth. And when distasteful words rush the gate, he says, and they will probably every single day, don't let them out, don't let them out. Do not let them out. And listen, they're going to try and rush the gate. They will, probably every single day. But to avoid fish mouth and to avoid words that are distasteful and harmful and hurtful to other people, he says, you've got to put a guard on your mouth. You have to guard your mouth. Don't let it come out. Now, so far, that's kind of negative. That's Paul's way of saying, here's what not to do. But next up, as I promised last weekend, he gives us this brilliant, brilliant word picture of what we're supposed to do and how we can use our words to bring life and speak life. So he turns the corner here and he says, resist unwholesome words that, that charge the gate. And then this is what he says. He says, but only. In other words, there's going to be some words that you've got to let out eventually, right? And, and the only words that you should allow out of the gate of your mouth are words that are good, words that are helpful for building others up according to their needs. Here's, continue reading the scripture. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Now, I'll be honest with you about this verse. Now, we can look at this verse, and you've probably heard this verse if you've been around church and church culture, and, and you've been raised in the church. You've probably heard this before. If, if not, um, it's, it's good advice. But we can look at this, and it sounds so nice, and it can sound so soft and, and so gentle. Maybe even for some of us, we're, thinking, we're looking at this, and we're thinking, I'm a parent. I've got five kids in my house. <laughs> this seems a little unproductive. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so, I mean, can, you, can we really, here's the question that's coming, forming in the back of our minds for some of us. You know, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, only such as good for helping others and building others up. I mean, can I, as a parent, can I, can I really use my words that way? You know, honey, it's just not nice to see how many raisins you can cram in baby's mouth. Right? Can we, can we talk with our kids that way? Do we need to be a little bit more urgent over something like that? Or would this work at our workplace? Can you imagine a performance review for somebody that hasn't come into work for the last month? Hey, listen, would you mind coming into work, you know, occasionally? <laughs> and, and I'm painting an unfair picture, but here's what I don't want you to miss in this verse, okay? Here's what I don't want you to miss because it's easy to write this off. The Apostle Paul's point is not to be nice in this verse. The Apostle Paul's point, in fact, is, is in the verse. He says, I want you to be helpful. He's not telling you to be mean, but he says, I want you to be helpful. And sometimes being helpful means saying hard things, right? So while some of us, we probably need to dial it down and dial it back uh, because we're not being nice when we use our words, other of us need to step up and say what needs to be said. Does that make sense? But he, he continues to give us some, some advice here with our words. He gives us what I think is maybe the most helpful word of all, and he gives us this construction word. I, I, this is what he says. He says, do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth, only what is helpful for building others up. Building. Now, it's as if Paul is saying this, and, and I, I love this. Maybe it's just me, but I find it really helpful. He says, I want you to imagine that every conversation is like a construction site um, and your words are the building material. And your responsibility as a Christ follower, you are responsible for this site. Because you're interfacing with, with people that God loves, your job is to consider every single word something that you could use to build that other person up. So that when you leave the construction site, and when you leave the conversation, they are better off for having been with you in that conversation. And at the end of the day, he says, when you get this right, they're gonna be better off for it because the point is that you are building others up so that they will be better off for it, that they will be built up because of the words that you said. Because if we keep on reading the scripture, don't forget this part because it's gonna be according to their needs. Did you catch that part? according to their needs. Now, this is challenging for us. It's challenging for me because oftentimes I'm talking based on what I want to talk about based on what I need, <laughs> right? I want to get my needs met. And the apostle Paul says, you know what? That's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of the gospel. That's not the way of Christianity. For God so loved the world that he gave. And so... In conversation with other people, you should look for opportunities to use your words to give them what they need. And if we keep reading the scripture, that it might benefit them. According to their needs, that it might benefit them. That it might benefit those who listen. It is for their benefit, Sean, not yours. <laughs> Oh, Lord, help your church, help your body, help us to apply this to social media too. It's not about me. It's for their benefit. Amen. 
And then he says this. This kind of gets a, a little bit more spiritual and honest, but it's so practical. And he says, while we're talking about it, when it comes to your words, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So this, this simply means don't say something to someone that makes God go, I can't believe what they just said. I can't believe they just said, here I am trying to build this person up and here you are using your words to undermine what I'm trying to do in their life. You know, you're, you're not building, but you're demolishing. And then it's like the Apostle Paul pauses and he, and he thinks, you know what? I, I know that there's gonna be some people in my audience that are really gonna struggle with this. And then he gets way up in our business like Paul likes to do. <laughs> and he goes to the root cause as to why many of us have such a hard time when it comes to our mouth. And it, and it looks like he's gonna change the subject here, but he's really, honestly, if we t- pull all this back and we look at all of this in context, we see that he's really just getting to the heart of the matter. Why is it that we allow things to escalate sometimes with our mouth? Why do we have fish mouth? Why is it that you say things and then you walk away and you think, why in the world? Where, in the, where did that come from? Why did I say that? And he, and he says, this is it. By the way, if we're going get, to get this right, if you want to be a builder instead of a demolisher, there's something that you're going to have to deal with. And so he says this, get rid of all bitterness. That's right. Get rid of all bitterness. And we're like, wait a minute. We were just talking about our words. Well, Paul says, yeah, this is all about your words. Get rid of all bitterness. The Greek phrase here for get rid of doesn't just mean stop. It means to pack it all up, put it in a bag, take it out to the street and leave it. (laughs) He says, I want you to pack everything up that has anything to do with your bitterness And I want you to take it to the street and I want you to leave it there because when your bitterness shows up, not only in what you say, but more importantly, how you say it and oftentimes who you say it to. You can't be a builder if you are bitter. You can't be a builder if you're bitter because your bitterness, we know this, Your bitterness will seep through your words and your volume and your tone and your attitude. And it affects the content and the intent of everything that we say, right? And the thing is about bitterness, you know this because you're smart. The antidote or the solution for bitterness is what? It's forgiveness, right? It's forgiveness, right? Bitterness requires forgiveness, because where does bitterness come from? For most of us, you know where the, where the root of bitterness comes from? It comes from words spoken to us, about us, or over us in our lives. Amen. You grew up in a home maybe where you never received a positive remark or comment from your mom or dad, or, or when they were positive, there was always a hook or there was always sarcasm. You came maybe out of a marriage where you couldn't do anything right and words were used to put you down and put you down and put you down and words were used to take from you 
which should have been able, you should have been able to keep for yourself, right? They took your self-esteem. They took your reputation. Maybe they took your time. And so we come into new relationships then, and we come into a new season of life, and we're dealing with the shrapnel of words that were spoken to us and about us and over us, and we bring that wound and we bring that hurt into current relationships. And so let's be honest. We know this. Bitterness affects what we say, And how we say it and the tone and the words we choose and it also affects what we refuse to say because of our pride. Because people wrestling with bitterness are trying to pay people back that never did anything to them because they can't pay the person back necessarily who wounded them. They're not even in the room. So the apostle Paul says, hate to get up all in your business and I hate to get personal. And he would say this to us and maybe I don't even know your story, but I'll tell you this. You can't be a builder as long as you're bitter. Forgiveness is the decision that is gonna free you to give someone from the past what they don't deserve or maybe not necessarily deserve so that you can give to those around you what they do deserve. If you have a parent, if you have bitterness, we've gotta deal with it. If you're in a second marriage or you're a single parent, you've got to deal with your bitterness because if you're not careful, what was taken from you by someone else, you will pay back in the relationship that you're in now, including your relationships, maybe with your kids or your grandkids. The apostle Paul says, this is a big deal. You can't be a builder if you're bitter. So he starts with get rid of all bitterness but he's not done. (laughs) Get rid of all bitterness, get rid of all rage, anger, get rid of brawling, all that yelling and screaming and allowing things to escalate. He says, you've got to take all that, put it in a big bag and we'll take it out to the street and we're going to get rid of it. You have to leave it there. And he goes on, he says, get rid of slander along with every form of malice. Now, all those words that we just said, if I wanted to take them and put them um, just kind of in in modern lingo and modern language that we use, you know, that context and conversations that we would use today, maybe he would say this. Get rid of all words that demean, degrade, and disrespect. So let's talk about those three words really quick. Demean, degrade, and disrespect. What does it mean to demean someone? Yeah, it means to communicate that you really don't matter. You really don't matter. And yet your heavenly father, what would he say? Wait a minute, he matters to me. Wait a minute, she matters to me. And if he matters to me and she matters to me, then he should matter and she should matter to you, right? Do you know what degrade means? It means you don't make the grade. (laughs) It means that you get graded down. It means that you don't measure up. And so the moment that we start treating people like they don't measure up, Maybe if this was the conversation today, you know, Father God was talking to me. He said, can I ask you a question, Sean? Sure. What's the question? Did you measure up to my standard? Well, no. How did I respond to you, Sean, when you didn't measure up to my standard? Well, you forgave me. You, you did for me what I couldn't do for myself. That's right. And now he's asking us. He wants you to go do that for that person, that, that person that's in your life. I want you to do that for her. I want you to do that for him. 
And then the last one, disrespect. Disrespect communicates you're not worthy of my respect. And of course, which our heavenly father would say, wait, you may not think that she's worthy of your respect, but she is worthy of mine. She's my daughter. You don't think he's worthy of your respect? Well, he's worthy of my respect. He's my son. So the Apostle Paul says, you see, this, this is a whole different way of thinking. We started this conversation. This is a different worldview than what you had before. So Paul, if, we were, if he was in the room, we would say, okay, Paul, what exactly does this look like? What does it mean to build? And this is his response. He says, let me give you some words that you understand. And then he starts going into this conversation. He says, well, be kind. Be kind. This isn't, listen, Again, this isn't just avoid the hard things. It's say the hard things in the right way. So he says, be kind and compassion to one another. In other words, it's, just, it's not just what you say. It's dialing into the emotion of the person that you're talking to in the whole conversation and make sure that you forgive each other, getting rid of all bitterness, because if you don't forgive, it's going to impact the way that you talk to each other. Be kind and compassionate to one another. And then we would say, okay, but Paul, how far do we take this whole forgiveness thing? Do you want me to just, you know, uh, take it as far, you know, forgive as much as they forgived us? And Paul would say, well, you might be sorry that you asked because this is what he says. He says, no, I want you to forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. That you are to do for others in terms of forgiveness exactly what your Father in heaven did for you. Do for others what God in Christ has done for you. When we put this in the context of our words, I want you to catch this this morning. When we put this in context of our words, it might look like this. Speak unto others as God would speak unto you. Speak unto others as Christ would speak over you. Can you imagine what would happen in your family if we did this? Can you imagine what would happen in our relationships if this was what we normally did, if this became normal, and then when we messed up, of course we'll take ownership of our words because if we start a fire, even if it's accidental, who's responsible for the fire? We had showed that whole picture from the book of James. Paul is saying, look, allow God's grace to you to shape and inform your words towards others. Now here's what we're gonna do as we close this morning. I'm gonna go back to these last four verses that we just read where Paul's talking about our mouth. And as we do, as I read it again, and we'll put it on the screen and you can follow along, I want you to ask yourself two questions. Here's the two questions that I want you to ask as we're reading through this. Where do you have work to do? And the second question might be a little bit more painful. Who hopes that you'll get to work soon? Where do you have work to do as it relates to your words? And then secondly, who hopes you'll get to work on these things soon? And, and do you know what's so sad about this question? It's the people closest to us that we tend to hurt the most with our words, which makes no sense. I mean, it's your problem, not theirs, right? It's my problem. It's my mouth, not the other person's. And if you're someone who is easily critical, if you're someone who it's easy for you to use sarcasm as a way of talking, can I just let you know that Pastor Brent used to say this all the time, sarcasm rarely builds up anyone. Rarely has someone been made better. Rarely has someone been built stronger through just pure criticism and and sarcasm. And can I just be super direct to you dads just for a moment? Sarcasm doesn't 
build anything but resentment. Sarcasm will not make your sons tougher, dads. It will just make it tougher for you to connect with your sons. Same thing for moms. Mom's sarcasm will not make your daughter tougher. It'll just make it more difficult for you to connect. So here's the passage all together in one pass. Here's what it says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. No fish mouth. But only what is helpful for building others up. That's that whole site of the, the construction site. Only for what build, builds other people's up. According to their needs, not your needs, that it may benefit those who listen, not those who are talking. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't make God go, oh, I can't believe that they just said that. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, God has made an unconditional promise to you. He has pledged his unconditional love. Why would you make your love and commitment to other people conditional with your words? And then he says, if this is tough for you, Here's one of the reasons that it might be tough for you. You're gonna have to get rid of all that bitterness. You're gonna have to put it in a bag, take it out to the street and leave it there. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slanger along with every form of malice. And starting here, he would just say, be kind. Just decide that as you are guarding your mouth that you use kind words, be kind and compassionate. Dial into the emotion of the other person that you're talking to. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. And how far should we take it, Paul? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Now, here's what I would suggest as a homework assignment. Just kind of some rubber hits the road for the message today. I would suggest, I would highly recommend and encourage you to commit this part of this passage to memory, just those last four verses. And I would encourage you to find it and, and write it, put it out somewhere in front of you, print it and commit it to your memory because here's what I know. This will make your life better. It'll make you better at life. It'll make you a better father. It'll make you a better mother. It'll make you a better student. It'll make you a better friend. It'll make you a better uh, boss. It'll make you a better employee. And then as you're memorizing these four verses and you're trying to get your mind and your heart around this message, if you find that it's just too difficult, it may be that you need to just take some things out to the street and leave it there. <laughs> some bitterness, some unforgiveness. And if you say, Sean, that's too much to ask. You don't know my story. Then I want to encourage you as much as I can encourage you to be here for part four of this series because I'm gonna speak directly to you again. So with the, which, you know, the next couple of weeks, we're gonna be at the park next weekend. So next weekend, we'll, we'll be short and sweet because I know we'll, be, we'll have some food and you'll be waiting for that and we'll, we'll be out in the sun and we wanna enjoy our time together. So I'm not gonna to torture you. But um, so next week, we'll kind of be like part three and a half of the series. And then the following weekend is Labor Day weekend. Pastor Derek is gonna be sharing on that weekend. And after all of that, goodness though come back for part four the last part of the big mouth series because if if the story of Jesus 
uh, dying on the cross for our sins is the greatest story ever told, then the, the story that I'm going to share a few weeks from now from the Old Testament might be the second greatest story that's ever told. And it will create context, I believe, for some of us, for maybe all of us in the room, to deal with the words that hurt you the most in such a way that you'll be free to move forward and love the people that you love better than you've ever loved them before. It's going to be a great weekend. Um, but let's stand and let's close this morning out by just saying um, our, our statement that we've been saying from week one of this series, and that is be quick to listen and slow to speak. You say it with me. Ready? One, two, three. Quick to listen and slow to speak. One more time. Three, two, one. Quick to listen and slow to speak. To do all of this, we've got to be quick to listen and slow to speak. So Father God, thank you for your word to us this morning. God, thank you, Lord that uh, it doesn't just leave it, uh, your word doesn't just leave it where James kind of dropped off uh, last week, but you've given us instruction, Lord, to uh, use our words to build people up. What a privilege and joy it is to be sent once, Lord, to be able to use the words that you've given us to bring life, to bring encouragement, um, to build up instead of demolish. God, we've got a wor world that we're living in that just seems hell-bent right now on destroying each other. And God, your church, we're called to be a light in a dark place. So you let us, give us wisdom, give us boldness, give us the patience, give us the grace to be builders. Lord, help us guard our mouths. Lord, so that our mouths and our words can be um, instruments that you would speak through, God. Holy Spirit, you can give us the words to say. Lord, I ask that you would fill us afresh. God, Holy Spirit, empower us and give us the words to say no matter where we are. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Pastor Derek is going to close us out in just a few minutes here. All right. Thanks, Pastor Sean. Mm -hmm. You know, um, <clears throat> For me, at least, and I, I think for a lot of the staff and worship team, it kind of feels like the beginning of the service is um, kind of like an avalanche getting started. You know, the, uh, the countdown starts and we just go. And we grab the next thing on the list and we grab the next thing on the list and we grab the next thing on the list and then we send everybody home. But let's not, let's not do that right now. Don't, let's, not, let's not just tune out and start, start moving on. Let's just take a moment. Let's just wait. Spirit, I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in our minds. I pray that as we walk out the doors today, our minds wouldn't just shut off everything that you're doing. We wouldn't, we wouldn't just separate ourselves and move on to the next part of the day. But God, I pray that you would, you would stick with us and keep us thinking about the foundations that we build with our mouths. Keep us thinking about speaking life. Keep our focus as we go on through today. So earlier this morning, um, God brought back this memory of when my wife and I were, uh, we were dating and kind of heading towards marriage. And I was uh, speaking to a friend and mentor of mine um, at, at the college in Canada that I went to. His name was Gerald Nussbaum. And he, uh, 
he, well, his name is Gerald Nussbaum. <laughs> anyway, he, he was telling me how it was like Pam and I were standing next to each other and we were looking into our own respective futures. And my perspective and my vision was as such. And Pam was standing here in her vision as well. And there was a point where our visions kind of overlapped. And part of our futures, part of the future that we could see had each other in it a little bit, but we didn't have the same vision yet. But we were moving that direction. And God was, God was bringing us together. And as we went on and our relationship grew, we became more and more until we weren't two people with two futures and two visions. We were one person with one future and one vision. And God brought that to mind this morning, um, I believe, because, uh, uh, you know, I, this is the time when we get up and we pray and we talk about, we talk about uh, becoming a Christian and uh, getting saved maybe or, or um, uh, you know, the salvation altar call type thing. But I felt like Holy Spirit was saying, like, for a lot of us, Holy Spirit's been calling us for a while. And he's been, uh, you know, whether you're online or in-house, you know, Holy Spirit calls us first and then we respond. Um, you know, Jesus, Jesus died for us first. You know, Jesus was around before time began, okay? He, he was there and he lives outside of time and he, his heart was this all the time. And so we're standing and we have our own future and we're looking at our own life. But Holy Spirit's calling us and he's pulling us in. And our, our vision and our future becomes a little bit more there's a little bit of Christ in it and a little bit more of Christ and a little bit more of Christ until eventually we come into alignment with the plans and the future that Jesus has for us and we spend the rest of our life following him. So if you're here today, um, if, you're, if you're like watching this live now or you're in the house or you're watching this sometime in the future, uh, you know, if you feel like, man, you, you, your future is in line with Jesus and the plans that he has for you. I want to pray with you and, and help you to take the next steps in that journey. Uh, for so many years, the church at large has spoken about a lot of things that have to happen now, a lot of change that has to happen now. And God absolutely can do things now. He's absolutely big enough, absolutely powerful enough, absolutely masterful enough. But more often than not, he chooses to work in the long game. And change takes time. And heart change takes time. And our brains need to catch up with our spirit. And all these things have to happen before we can get to a place where we can say, Jesus, I want to follow you. But if you're in that place today, I want to pray with you. Repeat after me, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I love you so much. And I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Guide me. Teach me. Change me. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen.